always punch up. This is the Punchy Panda Podcast. Thank you for joining me on the Punchy Panda Podcast this wonderful, wonderful Tuesday. I'm going to be dropping Tuesdays and Fridays, so just look out for that in the near future at Keep Good Keep on Twitter. Boy, took a little break. Couldn't handle Floyd Mayweather, so I had to chill out a little bit. But it looks like we have some big news coming out of UFC 235. A lot of big fights are being announced. And a lot of big drama. So let's just start there with, never thought I would say it, my boy, Kobe Covington. It's so interesting and so amazing how the UFC as a machine has the ability to completely alienate a fighter and piss off the fans at the exact same time. It's usually one or the other. Usually the fans are like, oh no, I'm so bummed out. And then the fighters eventually get what they want, like, you know, in a Connor situation, you know, some Ferguson fans. Or if you're talking about even a situation around Brock Lesnar, where it's like, oh, why is Brock coming back? And the UFC's like, oh, it's going to be a big fight. But this one, honestly, it's something that I saw coming. But I didn't want to breathe into the universe because I really like Tyron Whitley. And I believe that he is one of the greatest welterweights of this generation. We have to, you know, A, give him the pay that he deserves. And B, we have to follow some type of, I don't want to say lineage, but, you know, I'm a personal believer. If you, you know, you guarantee somebody something and you strap a belt around their waist, they should kind of get that sooner rather than later. Or things look really weird. That's why boxing's kind of strange to me. We got Anthony Joshua with the with some of the belts, Deontay Wilder with some of the belts, and then we have Tyson Fury, who's the lineal champion. You're confusing everyone. You're confusing the casual fans. And the hardcore fans already know what they want. The hardcore fans know that they want Kobe Covington and the unification about with Tyron Woodley. We've wanted this for over a year now. He's talked himself into this fight. He talked himself into the White House, Kobe Covington. And now it just seems like either we're going to get this later or we may not even get this at all. Because it was announced on Sunday that Tyron Woodley is going to be facing Kamaru Usman at UFC 235 at Las Vegas and Timo Marina on March 2nd. That is very, very upsetting for all the Kobe Covington haters slash fans. But at the same time, you know, undefeated in the UFC, 9-0, Kamaru Usman. Um, Dana White went on record to say that his willingness to fight anybody to try to save the January card and not hold out for Tyron Whitley and is willing to even fight injured is the reason why he's getting his title shot. Me personally, think that's a great, you know, those are great excuses, those are great reasons to tell the MMA media and those are great excuses to tell casual fans why someone who is number one ranked is being skipped over when he's healthy, willing to fight, and is the interim champion. Me as a hardcore MMA fan, I know that is just an excuse. And after listening to the podcast from Ariel Hawani and Luke Thomas, respectively, and I really wanted to see Kobe's side. Because one thing I originally wanted to make the podcast about was something I'm going to touch on a little bit later is the connection between um, ATT and the welterweight division between Dan Lambert and the UFC. 
and basically how he's been a feeder for their champions for the last couple of years consistently. But now it seems like that relationship isn't as close as I thought it was. Kobe Covington mentioned that, you know, his management could not get the job done. Dan Lambert is his manager. And for some reason, they went with Kamaru Usman. We all know Usman's manager. Well, you guys probably don't. Is Abdi, Abdel Abziz. Um, I can't say his name. Fuck that guy. But he has a lot of um, main fighters. They said that there was some type of favor. We all know that him and the UFC work extremely closely. He's even mentioned it himself on multiple occasions and in multiple interviews. So their very tight-knit, closely working relationship has gotten him, gotten Kamar Usman the fight. We can also parallel this with Cody Garbrandt last year when he was coming off of a devastating KO loss. Cody Garbrandt, who's also represented by Ali, was given an immediate rematch. When Cody, when TJ Dillashaw who had already defended the Bantamweight Championship twice, was not given that same opportunity. Again, we can lean that. We can look at it from a different angle as well if we choose to. We can look at it from the angle of, of course, it's hot. Hot fights, rivalries, intensity, blah, blah, blah. But personally, I feel it. it's a cop-out. And I feel I don't trust Abdel Abziz. So, of course, I'm going to think some, not nefarious per se, but definitely, you know, favors kept. Favors owed over promises kept. I'll say that. That's my first point. Diologies has a lot of fighters. He can influence his fighters to do a lot of different things. And since he owns, not owns, he represents most of the top fighters, they're dealing with him directly with a lot of these contracts. And since that is happening, he does you a favor, makes a fight happen, makes a fighter sign where they normally wouldn't. And I say the word make in the most loose of terms. That's something the UFC will repay him for. But when it comes to a promise to a fighter on record in the public media realm... That is something that's not given. That's something that's not kept. And that's something that can easily just go on the wayside. And which I find is very disturbing. Dana White is just getting more and more egregious these days. Just promoting a fighter one week and slamming him the next. Tyron Woodley in September. Kobe Covington in August in June. And now December comes Usman. He will praise them and slam them and within the next fight, which is something I personally don't think promoters should do. It's diminishing their product. It's diminishing their fighters. But at the same time, there's Dana White. He is notorious for holding a grudge. He is notorious for not keeping promises. And this looks like that's the same thing that's happened. One of the bad things about this really is now, I mean, it's not like before we could take Dana's word for like fact when he said, oh, that's the fight to make. That's the fight that's going to happen, so on and so forth. But now we can't even take his praise of fighters anymore. We can't even be like, oh, maybe this is the next guy to look for. Nope. Dana could change it on a whim, on a dime. 
And that is something that's very unsettling, especially with one of the best divisions in the UFC. And it just looks like, slowly but surely, the fighters are just going to stop looking to Dana White. Which I think is a great thing. You got to stop looking for favors to be repaid to you. And as what Kobe Covington really explained, Usman is relying on a favor and he decided I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bank on myself and if you guys want to have me fight, you you pay me and you'll give me the fight that I want. But as we've noticed before, if you don't do what the UFC wants, they have another guy that's willing right there to take your spot. And that is something that has to stop if the sport of MMA is going to go anywhere. In any other major sport, when the number one team is ready to compete, they don't put another team in there for politics, uh, behind-the-scenes drama, even for injury. They'll just wait. And I feel like the UFC is pulling more and more away from that, and it is hurting the product. And at the end of the day, the fans aren't getting the fights that they want. The fights that you, Dana White, are pushing on us in the first place. More so on record, it seems that even what institutions before the UFC have put in place no longer have any merit. Before, and when I was growing up, even watching the UFC, when there was an interim champion, when there was someone who held the belt in place of someone else. Let's just take it back to WWE this year. We know Roman Reigns dropped the title. Well, maybe you don't know. There was a fighter who has cancer. He dropped his title to someone. So Brock Lesnar picked it up. But we all know that the champion is him. And he will return and will get a title shot. It seems that Dana White is following in the, in the line of Vince McMahon. By not doing any more immediate title shots nothing is guaranteed anymore you have to earn everything even though you know nine and one in the ufc interim champion has earned a lot but the interim title no longer means that it no longer guarantees you a spot atop a division no no you may have to fight again you might have to fight someone coming off of a loss but at the end of the day that interim belt is just a gold it's not even a golden ticket anymore it's a paper championship. It means nothing to the UFC. And conversely, you need to have the opportunity to defend it. They'll strip you before they even give you a chance to defend the interim title. That would have been great. Colby Covington, interim champion, fighting in January. Maybe against Usman. Maybe for the lineal title. But the fact that you say the interim championship and number one ranking means nothing in a sports quote-unquote league, it's very, very unsettling. We all knew the, the rankings were popcorn, were popcorn, but, you know, you just literally take a dump on them yourself by doing this. You make, and you're the facilitator of your own rankings. It doesn't even make sense. I thought Kobe was Dana White's boy, you know? I thought that Kobe was someone that they were going to have a long, you know, budding friendship with. I thought him and Dana White were on the same page as him and Connor in some regards. But just because you go to the White House doesn't mean anything. And when you hold out for the UFC, they are going to spank your hands. 
We've seen this before in the past where fighters have chosen not to fight, even with Tyron Woodley as recent. The is Nick Diaz and his brother Nate. When you don't want to play ball, when the UFC needs pitchers, they'll bench you. And they'll bench you for an undetermined amount of time. Which, personally, I feel like if you have an excuse, Rose Namajunas, if you have an injury, Tyron Woodley. Well, not even an excuse, Rose. I'm so sorry for saying that. If you have an injury like Rose and Tyron Woodley, you should be able to say, hey, I'm injured. I need some more time. And then not punish you for it. If you've guaranteed title shot, quote unquote, they shouldn't be able to punish you for that. I remember when Tyron Woodley was supposed to face. It's so weird. When he was supposed to face Johnny Hendricks. When Johnny Hendricks didn't make weight. He got a title shot off of that. People were fuming. People hated it. People hated it. But Tyron Woodley's defense of the UFC's defense was. Hey. Woodley did nothing wrong. He made weight. He came in to fight. Johnny Hendricks did. He's the number one contender now. But nowadays. You know this is before the UFC was bought for billions. But. Tunes have are certainly changed. And if you're not going to fight when the UFC wants you to fight, they are going to sit you down. No matter how big, famous, or popular you are. Maybe not a McGregor, maybe not a Brock Lesnar, but anyone else. When they call, you better start picking up. And you better start getting on the ball. I completely and utterly disagree with that. But it seems like that's the model that's going forward. I just personally don't get how you can sit or bench a fighter who the fans want to see. Even if they don't want to see him win, they want to see him lose. He's one of the more popular fighters, Kobe Covington, in the welterweight division. How can you listen to the dollar signs over the fans? Oh, wait, they moved a whole event just last month in the same vein. And I feel like this is the new norm going forward. If there's an opportunity to make money, a monetary gain, the fans' interest is just going to be put on the back burner. If those two things coincide with each other, that would be great. But if they don't, the UFC does not care. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be that the big fights happened and the UFC did everything they could to make those big fights happen. Even if they didn't make the most sense. Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor 2. Didn't make a lick of sense. It was at welterweight. It wasn't even for the belt. But they needed money. And they saw the dollar signs. So they ran with it. This is the new paradigm era. This is the new era, it seems like. And when you have investors and when you have a loan, and honestly, you have a bill that's due. Every month, be it just like we do. They have a bill that's due every month, and they have to go to work and make sure they get the money to pay that bill. Or bad things are going to happen for the UFC. So, in one vein, in a business aspect, I see that makes sense. But from a fan aspect, I don't care. You dug yourself into this hole, and I should not have to be the one that's paying for it. It should be you. You should be paying attention to me and giving me what I want. But seems like that's not going to happen, at least on March 2nd. 
And I want to wrap up this podcast with something that I've been putting a little bit of thought into, and that is the development and the well-roundedness of American Top Team from a logistical standpoint. This is a company that was built to nurture young wrestlers to become full-time MMA fighters. And now it's become one of the largest, most dynamic and champions are just flowing through American Top Team like hotcakes now. Dan Lambert has found the formula of success. He's also the manager to a bunch of fighters under that stable. So not only has he found a way to understand the business aspect of MMA, but also the technical and martial art aspect, which is something that not a lot of gym owners or managers could do which i find very unique and very powerful and why i believe many fighters are lured to that gym and that stable of fighters and specifically we have the welterweight division where american top team has thrived as well as the in the women's martial arts i don't want to say necessarily female mma but Many of the female champions are coming from American Top Team. Yana and Jacek even moved to American Top Team while she was champion. So it seems that they're doing something right and they are nurturing champions for the future. Tyron Woodley, long-time American Top Team stable, was there for most of his career. Still represents that team a lot. And I really want to know the formula to success. It seems that Getting young, viable, youthful athletes, recruiting them early, training them is one of them, training them in-house with a diverse, wide-ranging coaching staff, wide-ranging group of athletes that they can train with around the clock, 24-7, having someone like Dan Lambert who has knowledge of the sport inside and out and who has a managerial standpoint. So monetary funding sponsorships, those things are also taking care of you care for you and the vein directly to the UFC. Like I was mentioning many fighters, they've had an entire season on the ultimate fighter focusing on their gym. So there's a clear line from American top team to the UFC and maybe even from there to, to a championship. This is something that's not seen in any other gym in MMA. The closest thing that I can replicate this to is the manager agreement between um, Ali and his fighters in the UFC, how they just somehow always get everything. But it's pretty amazing. The fact that they have such a wide range of fighters all being successful. They don't have the injuries that we have to worry about with other camps. And they'll have the consistency with um, with what a camp was, such as um, Jackson Wink. Or um, they don't have the small stable, such as Rain or something like that. They have everything working for them, for the UFC. And one thing that I find so amazing is the fact that the UFC has these champions from American Top Team and their contemporaries, the people who are coming up to fight in those said divisions, are coming from the same camp. 
I specifically want, specifically want to highlight the welterweight division, but it seems like I know camps don't determine everything. People fight all the time. People move camps. But the fact that Tyron Woodley has been training at American Top Team for such a long time and the contemporaries right behind him are coming from American Top Team might be some of the reason why he's, you know, steered away. I personally thought it was because he wanted to start building his own brand. He wanted to put his stamp as a champion and move away from American Top Team. They they have so many champions. They have so many different things that are going on. But maybe it was because he didn't want to be hawked by the Young Lions coming up. He says that he's trained them. Well, that's something I personally believe. I personally believe that Tyron Willie helped develop Kobe Covington and Kamaru Usman to the way that they are today. But at the same time, he's getting older. Maybe he's getting new tricks, new techniques that he doesn't want to pass off against the people who will probably run the division once he retires. Tyron Willie's already 36 years old. That's not a spring chicken miles. He's had over 20 fights, high-level professional fights. And now, you got to think about what's best for you. You can't be focused on the next generation. You can be focused on next generation, but not the now generation. You can't show your hand to all these young lions coming up. You can beat them, but they're right in the division right after you. One and two literally are his contemporaries from American Top Team. So I wonder what that does to a champion like Tyron Woodley. You know, does it make him more hungry to produce better wins? Does it make him a little bit hesitant to take fights? Or does it make it or does it seem like the welterweight divisions are walking apart? Because personally, I feel like, you know, younger, faster, stronger versus smarter, better just smarter and better. Tyron Woodley's always been explosive, but it's, I've seen that his style has changed recently. And I've seen other athletes implement that. I saw in the PFL, Steven Seiler was backing up against the cage and using, because Lance Palmer was going to try to come in and shoot the same technique that Tyron Woodley used against Damian Maya. So that seems to be something that's new, something that he's developed on his own, independent of American Top Team. So now I, I truly wonder, what's going to be next for the Walterweights coming out of American Top Team if they can really get over this Tyron Willie huddle, hurdle? Because I feel like that's it. He's been the top of the American Top Team for such a long time. These young lions have seen him, and now he's moved away so he can really focus. More like a, mar- like, just like a, um, a, a martial artist. Once you've learned everything from one dojo, you have to move on to the next. And I feel like they are still learning the American Top Team product. And they're going to use that full extent against Tyron Whitley. Unfortunately, Tyron Whitley has already learned that product and now has added on more skills. Which makes me believe that the, that the fight is going to be in his favor, no matter who he fights. So that the fact that the UFC is choosing to go with someone who the fans don't want to see, who is a lower ranked, and who literally fought the people that Kobe's already beaten. 
doesn't make a lick of sense. The UFC really, really, really has to start thinking about the outside in, looking at what the fans want. And honestly, leave the drama out of it. But yeah, it just seems like this whole, all these fight announcements are just getting overshadowed by all this drama. It seems that Kobe Covington is the fan favorite at the moment. The media is trending towards his direction with all the polls saying that he's um, the clear favorite as far as a fan perspective. But it just seems like when the UFC demands rise, if you're not going to rise with them, they'll put you on the bench. They won't give you the fights that you deserve or that you've earned. And that's very upsetting and unsettling. But at the end of the day, you know, the UFC has an owner. They have somebody that needs to appeal and they have money that they need to pay back. Loans that need to be tended. But the the excuses they're given for Marty Usman are very, very... Personally, I think they're ridiculous. I don't believe them. And honestly, who was he going to fight injured? He was going to fight an unranked guy. Make it his UFC debut, perhaps. And Ben Askren, that's not, I'm not going to say Ben Askren's a walk in the park. I'm not going to say he's an easy fighter, but that's not the most dangerous position to be in. You know what I mean? It's not for the title. He's not even in the title position because Kobe's there. So it's really strange to me. It's very dark and I don't like it. Two other stories that popped up this week that I want to touch on is um, Poliana Viana um, beating the crap out of somebody who tried to rob her with a piece of cardboard. Um, just like I said, briefly want to note on that. A, don't rob people. B, don't rob people with cardboard. And C, stop trying to attack women. They're not that self-defenseless and they may beat the shit out of you. And maybe make sure they don't have a UFC shirt on. I know it's very popular in Brazil. But, you know, let's not rob everybody with a UFC shirt on. They might know some shit. Also, a big fight that got announced. Very dangerous fight. Polo Reyes versus Vulcan Ozdemir. Vulcan coming off those two um, stoppage defeats. Really needs a win. Very dangerous fight against the shrieking Reyes, who just beat OSP. Stopped him, actually, in the third round. They overturned that to a decision, to a stoppage. So you're going to have to look out for, uh, for that fight. Uh, it's I believe it's headlined in Kansas or something ridiculous like that. Then we also got the Black Beast. No, Kansas is being headlined by Black Beast and um, JDS. Uh, I can't remember where Polo and them are fighting. It's not very important. But Black Beast is back, coming off of the world title win, and he's going to fight Junior Dos Santos, another, a former UFC champion. I feel like if he can get this one under his belt, he might be right back in the title picture. Uh, at be it. Maybe not for the best re maybe not um maybe he hasn't improved enough to get to that point, but I personally feel that's a big fight for him, two big strikers, and I remember with j d s fought Ben Rothwell, how he danced around a cage and was able to be elusive for five rounds. We know that it only takes one and he can reach you in the black beast also Ben Rothwell's back. look at that, you like that. I kind of stumbled over my words in the middle of this, but I got there. Big Rothwell's back from suspension. It should be wonderful to see where he goes. can't remember if a fight was announced or not. I'll give you guys an update on Twitter. Keep good, Keith. As always, as far as your responses, well on the podcast. 
So I don't want to go on all day about the ridiculousness that's going on in the welterweight division. You can always hit me up on Twitter. Keep good, Keith, if you want anything for me to get discussed or go over on the podcast. Um, like I said, 235 is a booming card. It's really shaping up. It looks like we're going to have a lot of big fights on there. The headlining fight is going to be John Jones facing Anthony Smith for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship with an asterisk. It's always an asterisk. Since this fight is taking place in Las Vegas, Jones is going to go in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission on the 29th and see if he can get a license. If not, I suppose that Woodley and Usman would be the main event. Or maybe they'll just move the whole card. Who knows? No one knows. We also have um, um, Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren, as previously reported. Zabit Magomed Sharapov versus Jeremy Stevens. That's going to be an amazing fight. So is Holly Holm versus Aspen Ladd. Those are the most, you know, the biggest fights that I'm looking forward to on this card. Also, that was announced recently was Cody Garbrandt's return against Pedro Munoz. That should be a very, very exciting fight. Let's see where Cody can go from here. You know, coming off those two big KO losses, I'm very interested to see where he goes from here. It's been a few months since his last fight, August, September. Been a little bit over six months. I personally think he should take a little bit more time. Maybe come back, you know, sometime towards the May, June. But maybe he feels like that's too much time off. It's completely, it's up to him. But these are some of the bigger fights that are being announced. Also, as far as announcements, you you folks already know. Um, as far as the anime and manga, uh, well, the anime side, we have a lot of manga returning. We have Mob Psycho 100. Returning and also Black Clover is coming off of hiatus this week. So take a peek out for those two things. Also on the 10th, we have The Promised Neverland as well as a lot of debuting anime dropping. So check out um, some of those as well. I've put on a, a list of some of the ones that I'm looking forward to on Twitter at Keep Good Keith. So take a um, peek out for those as well. I'd like to thank you for listening to the Punchy Panda Podcast. It's going to be dropping on Tuesdays and Fridays. Keep keep on Twitter for all updates. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. Again, always punch up.